When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we're going to preview the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going to talk about Jake Browning. We're going to talk about the roster. We're going to talk about all things Bengals. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Just want to check in on how you're feeling, Joe. I know the surgery went well. I want to say congratulations and good luck on your rehab and your recovery and your mindset. And can't wait to have you back next season, my friend. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't envy Joe Burrow at this moment in time. It is no fun recovering from a surgery. I'm sure a lot of you out there know that. And if it's a sports-related injury and you have to rehab and physical therapy... I mean, basically any injury, you know, when you get out of the hospital, you're like, this isn't so bad because the pain medication is still in effect and you don't realize it. And then you wake up the next day and you have to really go through the pain of, you know, getting your body cut open. And I mean, it's no fun. We just sit here and, oh, Joe will be back next spring. It'll be great. But he's got a long journey ahead of him. I mean, that's daily rehab, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of mental anguish and just... You know, you just got to stay the course. I know he's going to have a successful recovery, but it is no picnic. And, you know, you hear a guy like tearing an ACL or a shoulder. Those are kind of the worst. But a wrist injury, just everything that goes along with it. And you just, you know, you account for them to be back, but you don't realize how painful and agonizing and crazy of a journey it is to get back to where you were. All right, so let's take a look at the playoff picture. I know it's bleak. We're the 11th seed. 0-4 0-4 in the division, 1-6 in the AFC. Those six AFC losses just come back and haunt you. I mean, it's very tough to win tiebreakers when you dig that kind of a hole. But you know what? What else do we have? What do you, you want it to be May and you're just begging for Bengals football? It's here. It's with us right now. I keep saying it. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy these games. And you know what? Until the ninth loss, we're not dead. I know 9-8 and eight probably won't get you in with six AFC losses. So we really, I mean, if, you think it, if you're thinking that way, which is pretty realistic, but you, know, you can say nine and eight possibility, 10 and seven, probably going in, 11 and six, definitely going in. I know I sound like I'm dreaming. Do you think we're really going to run the table right now? Probably not. But until that happens, until we're actually flatlining and declared dead, let's just believe, 
Let's have fun. Let's put energy into it. Let's get behind the guys that are playing out there and just never give up. I mean, today is uh, Jim Valvano Day, and I, I've used this phrase before, but you go back to his big speech when the guy could barely walk to the podium, and that's kind of how the Bengals are right now. And he said, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Man, the Steelers have done us in way too many times. I mean, if you count this one as a somewhat nail in the coffin, like I know a lot of people are, you go back to like the 05 season with the Palmer injury and 2015 with Jeremy Hill. There was another time back in 76, I believe, where we tied. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we tied for the AFC Central lead, and they went to the playoffs, and we didn't. At least seven times the Steelers have been responsible for us being eliminated or on the verge of elimination, and it's probably a little bit higher than that. All right, positive note, and I keep going back to this. We're building the secondary of the future. DJ Turner, another good game. I know we let up some passes, a couple bend-don't-breaks, but you can see that we have a star in the making there. We survived the game without Cam Taylor Britt in the lineup. You know, the wide receivers, they had their yardage here and there, but it wasn't like we were just totally getting lit up. I mean, the defense lit up 16 points. So you have Turner. You have Battle, 19 tackles, I believe, in the last two games. You have Cam Taylor Britt when he's healthy again, one of the top in the league. And you have Dax Hill having a phenomenal season, plus whatever they're going to stack on to that, whatever veterans they're going to keep around. We are going to have a great secondary. And if you can win in the trenches and you have a great secondary and you have great skill position players, which we do have, you're going to be a contender for a long time. So I'm very excited about the secondary. I'm very excited about Burrow and Chase and hopefully Higgins. I mean, we, we have a lot to look forward to. We have Hendrickson and Hubbard until 25. We have Pratt and Logan Wilson for a couple more years. We have a lot of good players that are going to be sticking around for a few years. So with a healthy Joe Burrow, we could be right back to where we want to be next year. And as I said, this year isn't totally lost yet. All right, so I want to give some advice to the defensive backs in the NFL. And we saw it in this game. And again, I'm keeping it quiet because I don't want everyone to know. But a big weapon of defensive backs is you get your legs tangled up with wide receivers. And I played quarterback when I was younger, but I also played receiver and defensive back. It depended on the season, what teams I was on, and whatnot. But that was never a problem. You know what? I'll, I'll just run behind you. You got to step on me. All of a sudden, our legs get tangled up. We both fall to the ground. That's not pass interference, right? I'm not touching you with my upper body. I'm not all over you. I'm not knocking away your hands. As your legs kick up, I'm close enough where my legs happen to run into yours. You know, there's so many pass interference calls out there, but you get your legs tangled. Even if it's on purpose, I didn't say that, but even if it is, it's an effective technique, and I've done it myself. All right, so let's talk about the quarterback plan. I say this because you're hitting desperation time. I say you start Browning one more game. If he loses, you go to McCarron. You know, because if Browning loses, now you're at that seven-loss mark. You don't want to go to eight losses. You try McCarron out. If Browning wins, you keep him in there and just let him roll. So in my opinion, a huge game against Jacksonville. And then, you know, just take it like this, and I don't want this to be the case, but... Just say Browning doesn't beat Jacksonville, and now we go to seven losses, and then you bring in McCarron, and he's unable to win. Then I say you just go back to Browning and develop him and see what he has for the rest of the year because the season's kind of lost at that point. 
But I'd say if you get on that cusp where one more loss is going to end your season, I think you go to McCarron. All right, as far as observations from the game, it was a quick game. I hate, I, lo- I want like a three and a half, four hour Bengal game. In this case, they were done by like 350. So it was a less than a three hour game. It went quick because, you know, the Steelers ran out the clock at the end. There was a lot of running plays by the Steelers. The game just flew by. Every nightmare came true, right? Biggest loss, really short game, losing to Pittsburgh, and looking bleak for the playoffs. So not a very good Sunday for myself, but for some reason I only brooded for about an hour or so, and I just picked it back up. I mean, if it was Burrow in there, it would be one thing, but without him in there, you have a little bit longer of a leash and a little more tolerance for pain, I guess I'll say. All right, so in this game, 16 was the big number. The defense allowed 16 points, and that is enough to win any NFL game, in my opinion. So great job for the defense. I know some of the guys didn't play up to their their standards, and I know we lost the game, but 16 points on defense is not a bad outing. And the other 16 is Joe Mixon's 16 yards rushing, and not Joe Mixon's fault. There were no holes. The blocking was tough. Hayward was just clogging up everything. They knew when we were going to run. They were just on to everything, and we just couldn't get any leeway in the run game. And it's frustrating. It hurts your time of possession. It makes you one-dimensional. So now you have a quarterback in his first NFL start trying to win the game against the Steelers with his arm, and that's that's a very tall task for anybody. So that 16 yards out of Mixon was, was very tough to handle and a big contributor on why we lost. And back to the defense. You're going into the fourth quarter. They only let up 10 points. That's a winning effort. Play calling. Coach Taylor, like I always defend. So I think the number was they had 41 offensive plays. And a lot of them were long distances or like trying to throw yourself back into the game. So that limited the rushing attempts. So, you know, the the critic or the guy who just relies on stats and not the eye test, they go and say, oh, Mixon only had eight carries. What are you doing, Coach Taylor? It's situational. You can't take it like that. You can't. It's the, Football is not the sport where you look at numbers on a page and that's going to define what you do. You know, like I said, you can give up 450 yards to an offense, but 87 of those yards could have come in junk time at the end of the game. I always say this kind of stuff. You know it, guys. So you can't just look at carries for Mixon and say that Coach Taylor abandoned the run game. He's doing a horrible job play calling. You have to watch the games, do the eye test, and look at the big picture. And we needed DJ Turner to score on that fumble recovery. Hey, I'm glad we got the turnover. We stopped them in the red zone. We got the ball back and Turner streaking down the sideline. And I'm just like, you have to score right now because I don't know how close we're going to get to the end zone on offense if you don't. And when your offense is really struggling, that's the best chance you have of moving the ball. So that D.J. Turner play was as much of a touchdown chance than any other play in the game, truthfully. And then a little bit of Steelers talk. Pickett, uh, he had some good throws, but I just know that he's not going to take them to the promised land. And that feels good as a Bengal supporter to say that. Deontay Johnson, I don't know what you're doing on that play where you gave up. Of course, you had a couple big plays later, but man, like... I even said it at the time. I was like, that's almost cut-worthy what you did out there, where he just stopped, showed no effort, and the, the play is going on around him, and he just still didn't pick up his pace. Really strange, really pouty, really not a team player, but I'm glad he's on the Steelers and not on the Bengals. T.J. Watt is a Hall of Famer without question. 
and a dirty player. I mean, he nailed Browning way after the whistle on that one play, and we've seen him grapple with Burrow over the years. And again, some guys are like that, right? Just like Tomlin. They do some unscrupulous things, but they're still everyone's darling. Boswell is a Bengal killer. He's done it his whole career. Fryermuth had done nothing this year because of injury, but then he has the biggest game of his career against us. I think he's a great tight end, and of course we got his breakout game, unfortunately. And Cam Hayward is another Hall of Famer, and he was just plugging up the middle and really blocking the run game, and a force that isn't always going to pull up huge numbers, but is just a down-by-down great player. So that's all the credit that I give to the Steelers. I still hate you guys. I respect you, but I hate you. So what goes into a 16-10 crushing loss at home to the Steelers? It was 0-0 in the first quarter. Pittsburgh finally backdoors a field goal, 3-0. Then we go up after the sample touchdown. Then halftime hits. First drive of the second half, we're spreading the ball around. We have the big throw to chase. We're driving, looking like, hey, we're going to go up by two scores. And we have that tragic interception, which really changed the course of the game. And if you want to point to one specific play, that was the play. That interception was basically like a 10 to 14 point swing because we were going to get three or seven. And instead, Pittsburgh went down and scored seven. They had a methodical march downfield. And the only question, I mean, they went up 10 7. The only questionable play was when they had the holding call on Pratt, which was a legitimate holding call. And again, I'm not going to blame the refs for a win or a loss. And the whole conspiracy thing, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, every year it seems to get deeper and deeper. And it's just a conspiracy theory. There's no way that they can just have the refs intentionally blowing games and keep it under wraps. I, I firmly believe that that's not possible, even though it was done in basketball years ago. But what they did is they actually threw the flag. And then they picked it up. If they had not thrown the flag at all, all right, fine. But to throw the flag and then gather for a conference and say, no, that was fine. That was fine that he grabbed him by the shoulder pads and spun him around. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. So, again, I'm not going to cry about the refs. But that made Pittsburgh go up 10-7. We get stopped. And then they have that 43-yard play to Pickens down the sideline. It leads to a field goal. Now they're up 13-7. We go three and out on a crucial drive, and that's when Irvin Jonah missed the assignment on Watt. I don't know what to say. So three and out, we have a bad punt. Our defense is gassed. The Steelers run the clock. They drain our timeouts. Najee Harris, who's done really not that much in his career, gets a big 22-yard run. We still hold him. They kick a field goal, 16-7. And then we get the ball, and we have that magical Mixon 39-yard catch and run. And it leaves 240 on the clock. And now it's time for me to talk about my philosophy in these situations. And I've, I've said this a couple years back on the show, and I want to reiterate my point. NFL teams, and I don't know if it's analytics or I just don't get it, they will drain the clock and just be hell-bent on scoring a touchdown. When you, if you need a touchdown and a field goal, why not just get in field goal range, kick the field goal, and save time off the clock? Instead, teams will just go down and waste time and waste time and waste time, and that's what we did. We had the ball with 2 minutes and 40 seconds left, and it would have been a 54-yard field goal at home for Evan McPherson. I say right at that point, kick the field goal. I was screaming it during the game. I'm like, kick the field goal, kick the field goal. And of course, we didn't, just like every team doesn't. 
and we were hell-bent on the touchdown. We wasted about 30-plus seconds and then eventually got the field goal that we could have had 30-plus seconds ago. And what happens? We do the onside's kick, and we're unable to even see the ball again back, and they just run out the clock on us. Whereas if you use my philosophy, kick the 54-yarder. I know it's not an easy one, but you probably would have had a good 20 or so seconds left at the end to try to make something happen. And I, I know that's not ideal either, but there's nothing ideal about watching the Steelers kneel on the ball three times as well. So I'm calling out to all of the NFL coaches, stop doing this. When you're down by two scores and you're close enough for a makeable field goal, kick the field goal and save the time. They never do it. I'll never understand it. But hopefully somebody's listening and they will change their ways in the NFL and everyone will say that, wow, Frank, you were really right about that one. All right, why did we lose this game? A couple reasons. The Browning interception in the red zone killed us. It was a, a drive, one of the few drives we were moving the ball. It was the beginning of the second half. We were up. You know, that ball was intercepted right around the 10-yard line. So instead of us getting three or seven, they got seven. And again, it's that 10 to 14-point swing. I think that's the biggest contributor to the loss in this game. No running game. You can't win games if you're one-dimensional with a, a quarterback starting his first game. Fryermuth did a lot of damage, a lot of big catches, a lot of first down catches, a lot of a lot of yardage and moving the chains for them. So I would say that would be the third reason why we lost. We lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Obviously Watt went crazy. They sacked us four times. We couldn't run the ball. They had a hundred plus yards in rushing, albeit a lot of it came late, and we only got to pick it twice. And then the fifth reason, again, that Jonah and Irv Smith missed assignment. It's a one-score game in the fourth quarter on a crucial third down. I think it was third and five, and that just iced it and killed that drive. So those are my five reasons on why we lost this game. All right, so breaking down our only touchdown of the game, it was the sample touchdown. We just gave a run look on a second and five. There was multiple tight ends. Chase wasn't even on the field. It was Yoshivas as an H-back and Boyd wide on the right, two tight ends on the left totally looking like a run to the left. Wilcox does a slant to the outside, kind of like a corner route, but it wasn't in the end zone. Sample blocks while we play action fake to Mixon, and then Sample gets off of his block, drifts to the outside. Browning hits him wonderfully, moving to the left, one of his best passes of the game. Sample takes it, runs to the end zone, and here's my name for this play. The Sample Trample. Yes, he's running towards the end zone with a head of steam. Wilcox gets in his way, and he's not letting anyone get in his way on that play. So the sample trample has been born. Hopefully we see a lot more of that in the future. All right, so let's talk about Jake Browning and really analyze what we've seen, what kind of hope there is for the future, and what kind of performance he had in this game. It was his first start against a really good, confusing defense so you have to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for this one. His numbers were really good, but you guys know I'm not a stat guy. So let's talk about his numbers real quick just to analyze what happened. 19 for 26, a 96 quarterback rating. That's great on paper. 73% completion percentage. That's great on paper. 227 yards. That's not that bad. But I just don't want to hear the stat guy saying, well, he had a 96 rating and 73%. 
you know that that's that's a winning effort. It's not. Watch the games. Watch the drives. Watch if 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 that's capable of winning a game when you put ten points on the board. I mean the two hundred twenty. You want to be real about it. The two hundred twenty-seven yards. I I did the math on the two chased tipped balls that could have been interceptions. That was forty-four yards right there. So that could have been a hundred eighty-three yards passing. Now, to all the stat guys, that doesn't look as as good, right? That would have been under 70% if you want to go stat, stat, stat. That would have been 17 for 26 for 183, one TD, three picks, if not for two kind of lucky bounces where, I mean, great concentration by Chase, but, I mean, those were two plays that could have been interceptions. So I'm just showing you right there how stats aren't necessarily the truth. All right, so let's talk about the good of, of Jake Browning, and I want him to succeed. You think I don't, but you have to be realistic, and I think he still does have a decent ceiling. I mean, he's intelligent, he's confident, he's accountable, he's got a decent arm, he's fast. You know, he made some good decisions, some good throws. It wasn't a train wreck by any stretch. Beautiful 31-yard pass to Chase down the sideline. He had a nice crisp throw over the middle to Chase in traffic, you know, kind of a Burrow-esque throw. So those were a couple good throws right there. He had one of those great escapes where he was ducking out of the pressure when it looked like he was going to get sacked multiple times, and he ditches it to Irwin, and Irwin gets 25 yards run after catch. He had the rollout left on the sample touchdown. We talked about it. It's not easy to roll out left and to throw accurately, and he made the perfect read and the perfect throw in that situation. He got T.J. Watt to jump on a hard count, another Burrow-esque kind of thing to do. He spread the ball around to nine different receivers. You know, he moved the ball. It wasn't a total disaster. And it was his first start. So I can't get so mad. I'm, uh, you know what, guys? I'm just frustrated. I'm just frustrated because I wanted this to be our year so badly. And in the last few weeks, Burrow was really peaking. And it just looked like we were going to go on a huge run and get right back to that AFC Championship game, if not further. And it kind of got snatched away unexpectedly. Like, what? Joe isn't even hurt. He's out for the quarter. He's out for the half. He's out for the game. He's out for the year. So I guess that's what I'm going through right now, and I'm taking it out on Browning. I mean, what more can you expect? I mean, I couldn't get in there and do that. There's only a few people on the planet. You know, you're talking a couple dozen people on the planet that can go out there and do what he did. So it's not a reason to get on him. It's just the frustration of the situation. Some of the bad, I mean, two scoring drives in a game is not good enough. The interception, he, he said it himself, and I like the fact that he was accountable and aware. That's a huge factor, and that hopefully will lead to growth. But he said that he made his mind up pre-snap. He saw the way they, they were covering Chase, and he was like, I'm going to be able to get it to him. And now he knows you can't do that because they're going to read that, and things change post-snap pretty dramatically. And I don't think he had enough on that throw. When you're throwing to the outside, and he has the arm strength to do it, I just didn't think he zipped that in enough. If you're going to take that risky pass to the outside like that, I think you got to put a little bit more on it. He had a little bit of a lack of awareness on that first strip, on that first drive where Watt got to him and knocked the ball away. We recovered, but it set the tone for Pittsburgh. And uh, I think he picked up his awareness as the game went on. I think that was really the biggest example of pocket awareness deficiency. All right, so let's quickly go over offense, defense, special teams, just very quickly, just to talk about some of the other guys. Chase had four eventful catches in this game. He had the wonderful catch on the sideline, great throw by Browning. He had another highly contested catch across the middle. 
And then he had the two tip balls that he maintained concentration and made a, a great play on the ball and a great run after catch on. So he's worth the price of admission. Tyler Boyd, couple of first downs, not much action. Hudson continues to show up. I, I think he's our best tight end on the roster right now. Yosivash had a nice catch and run, one catch, but a nice one, doing a good job as a gunner. Irwin had that run after the catch, and you saw him with the ball security. He, he knew it was a key moment in the game. He knew he was getting a bunch of yards, and he just put both hands on the ball like a fullback and just pressed down the field for 25. Excellent, heady player, one of my favorite Bengals. We talked about Joe Mixon, not his fault that he couldn't run anywhere. There were no holes. He did have the big catch at the end of the game that you know gave us a little bit of hope. I think Orlando Brown did a nice job on Highsmith for the most part. Negatively, I thought the offensive line couldn't move Hayward or contain Watt for the most part, and you know those are two big contributors on why we lost. And then Irv Smith, eight yards receiving. I, I get on this guy all the time. I'm sorry. I, I, I just hate to do it, but I have to. Irv, I'm sorry, man. If you and I were in an alley, I would probably say the same thing to you, and you probably whoop me. But eight yards, a holding call, that huge missed assignment, that's just not winning football, my friend. All right, defensively, Hendrickson had the sack, a couple pressures. It's amazing to see him playing on a sprained knee and still being a very productive player and the leader of this defense. Miles Murphy had a big game, three tackles, a really nice sack. He made a great move on that play. So if if there's anything positive to take from this game, maybe the light is coming on for him. I really hope so because I know a lot of us feel like that was a wasted pick and it is too early to make that assumption and this game definitely is a step in the right direction. Zach Carter's had an up-and-down year, but he had a big strip and a tackle for a loss. DJ Turner, again, one of my favorites. He had a couple plays where he was beaten and recovered and slapped the ball away. That first touchdown from Deontay Johnson, great one. He had a pass breakup in the end zone. He's had a couple of them this year. He had the fumble recovery, and I know he let up a few passes, but as a corner, you are going to let up passes as long as you bend and don't break. I think you're all right there, and you have a short memory. And again, DJ Turner is playing outstanding. Watch the games, rewatch the games, watch number 20, and I know you'll agree with me. I, I'm not just throwing that out there just to pick some random rookie to have hope for. Like, it's legit. I was surprised. I, I, he's, I didn't think that he was going to hold up in the run game, and he's a great tackler. He's great in coverage, and he just seems to show up. I mean, Britt was out. And there wasn't that much of a drop-off. Awuzie had a good game. Battle had a good game. Hilton, I think he had the DJ Reader syndrome. So he had two tackles for losses, but he let up a couple big passes. It's almost like, are you too pumped up for this? Like, that's how I thought Reader was against the Texans. I thought the Reader game, DJ Reader against the Texans was his worst game of the year for us because it was like that revenge game. And sometimes you get too pumped up. And I think the same thing might have happened to Mike Hilton in this one. Logan Wilson didn't have his best game. Not a horrible game. But he got beat a few times by Fryermuth in zone coverage where he released him too early. But, you know, we're all human there. And he's had a great year for us. And then Jalen Davis. He doesn't come in much. And I know one of the other times he came in, he let up a big touchdown. And this time he lets up a big third down. And if you listen to the game and you rewatch it, you hear Kenny Pickett say... 3-5-35 right before that play and that's Davis's number so I think he saw him coming to the game and they said we're going right at that guy 
and they got a first down throw to Austin. That's horrible. If you're number 35 and you hear them call your name before the play, that's a tough moment. I mean, you got to be on your A game and hopefully nothing bad happens. But if they're going to telegraph it and then kind of, I don't know, I guess do you dirty like that, that's a rough one. But anyway, I like him as a player. I hope he recovers, but he's had two pretty dark moments in the limited time that he's played this year. Special teams, Brad Robbins up and down. A couple balls to the 10-yard line, that's good. He had a bad punt down one score in the fourth quarter. He had a bad touchback earlier in the game. The rookie trials and tribulations continue. His holding is good for extra points and field goals. His punting, although he has a great leg, has been very up and down. I guess we're going to ride it out with him this year, but you know, if you're going to be the long-term answer, you have to show a little more consistency. And I do believe, but we just need a little more out of you right now, Brad. Travion with that amazing 46-yard kick return set up the only touchdown, as I said before. McPherson, solid as always, and he had a really nice hop on that onside kick. It just bounced the wrong way for us, but I like our chances if he's going to do onside kicks like that in the future. So that's it. I don't know. Was I too critical? It's I'm just a little frustrated because, as you guys know, I've been calling for this to be our year the whole time. And a loss to the Steelers sometimes brings out the worst in you. But I still love this team, and you know that. I'll never stop. And I still root for all of these guys, even Jonah Williams and Irv Smith and Osai, guys that I always get on. I don't know. I guess I, I needed to vent a little bit. But I'm still right here. Next week, Monday night, I'm going to be three feet away from my TV, going crazy and hoping for the best on every play. And I hope you guys are too. All right, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars a little bit right now. All right, so the Jaguars. Doug Peterson, head coach, has had some great success. He's a play caller for them. We know the Philly special and the Super Bowl that he won. Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, Coach Taylor's brother. So, you know, there's going to be at least a smart, calm, strategic coach there and someone who's probably going to move up the ladder in this league and maybe even get his own job someday. Mike Caldwell, a veteran coach of like 15 years, head coach. He's coaching the defense. So their coaching staff is outstanding and definitely contributing to what the Jaguars are doing this season, which is an 8-3 and three record. The Jaguars are 8-3 and three right now. And I think the Lions are 7-3 and three or something like that too. Just the world is upside down. Joe Burrow is not playing, and Trevor Lawrence is on top of the world. Joe Burrow is not going to a Super Bowl this year, but Brock Purdy might be. You know, just help me. Somebody just help me. The world is just totally upside down right now. Anyway, the Jags, 8-3, and 3-3 three, three and three at home, 5-0 and oh on the road. So the way they're playing, I guess we're better off catching them at home. They're 12th in points scored with 23 a game. They're 12th in points against with 20 a game. So they're kind of middle of the pack. They're very good against the rush. And defensively, they're not that good against the pass. Just as a side note, the Bengals have been scoring 19.3 points a game and letting up 22 a game, so that's not a winning formula there. And, man, I sound like Stat Boy right now, and I'm going to stop right now. All right, offense, Trevor Lawrence, definitely a quarterback of the future and someone that's going to keep that team in contention. I've never been a big fan, but he does have a great arm, and... He's an intelligent quarterback, and he reads defenses, and he's 8-3 and three right now. So definitely someone that you have to account for, and their most valuable player by far right now. 
They have Calvin Ridley having a great year. Kirk is a threat in the slot, in, especially on deep routes. Zay Jones is playing decently. Evan Ingram, those are the main four targets. Travis Etienne is back from injury and having a very good year, so he's their main threat out of the backfield. And when you go through the offensive line, you have Little, Ezra Cleveland starting, you have Forber at center, Sheriff at guard, and then Hanson at the other tackle. So if you look at it, they're really strong at guard. They're a little more vulnerable at tackle. So what are the keys there? Hendrickson and Hubbard have to have a big game against these tackles. I think you pressure Lawrence into making some mistakes, which although he's a great passer, he can be prone to turnovers, and that's the key here. Let's watch our defensive ends go to work, beat these inferior tackles, and force Lawrence into making some mistakes. you got to contain ATN up the middle, especially with the, that guard play, and he's having a great year. So if you can stop the run game and get to Lawrence from the outside, I think you're on your way to winning this game. And don't lose the tight ends in zone coverage. I don't want to see Engram with an 80-yard game and a bunch of back-breaking plays because you know he slips in between the hole between Wilson and... Dax Hill just we we learned from the the last couple weeks that's been hurting us and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen this game hopefully Cam Taylor Britt returns to the lineup I think that's a big one for us and then when they're on defense you have Josh Allen on the outside having a great year Robertson Harris Smoot on the inside they bring Gatsis and Fadukasi as the other guys in the middle Trayvon Walker, the really high draft pick, is having a, a eh, kind of year, so not that much to worry about there right now unless the light goes on for him a little bit more. Outstanding linebackers in Devin Lloyd and Okola Kuhn. Secondary is where they're vulnerable. You have Brown, you have Trey Herndon in the slot, you have Darius Williams on the other side playing well, safeties, you have Cisco and Rashawn Johnson. So I think there's some vulnerability back there. The keys exploit the secondary if this was a Joe Burrow game you're looking at 34 points on the board no problem it's a Jake Browning game but you can't be afraid to turn the ball loose and turn the passing game loose hopefully a big game for Chase I think Boyd stands to have a big game and if Higgins is in there it's going to go a long way towards beating these guys we if we have our three up and running and then your Irwin and your Yoshivash is in the background I think we have a very good chance of scoring a bunch of points against these guys Orlando Brown's got to contain Josh Allen. They don't have much of a pass rush coming beyond that. So if you can win that battle, Browning's going to have some time to throw. And then we're really going to see what he's made of. You're going to still have to run with Mixon. And I think it's going to be out of the shotgun with some draws, some delays, some runs just right up the middle. Hopefully you get a couple yards bouncing off those DTs. And then if Mixon is ineffective in the running game because of their great run defense then you got to get the ball to him out of the backfield and let him do some work in space. I think against this secondary, you run a lot of four wide receiver sets. I love five wide receiver sets, but I don't want any protection issues. And, you know, if Brown is containing Allen, then maybe you can go five wide and really exploit the Jaguar secondary. Prediction, even though I'm saying it could be high scoring, I don't know if Jake Browning is, is ready to lead us to a 34-point outing. So I'm going to say I'll never pick against the Bengals. You guys know that. I'm going to say Bengals 20, Jaguars 17. Put it in the books. Bengals go to 6-6. Six and six. The season is still alive. Some of the crazy haters on social media back down a little bit. The team gets some self-confidence and gets invigorated. And maybe we can go on a couple game run and get out of this thing at 10-7 and seven and, 
and win a playoff game on the road against Baltimore. How's that sound? That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.